dating. It, it's changed from generation to generation. But here's how we defined it. We said that when, when somebody says they're in a dating relationship, they're suggesting that, that a guy and a girl are entering in to an exclusive relationship in which they understand that they're going to experience a deeper emotional and physical level of intimacy. Got that? That's, that, that's what it is. It's a guy and a girl agreeing to come together in an exclusive relationship in which it's assumed, it's understood by both parties that they're going to uh, take part in a deeper level of emotional and also physical intimacy, some, some level. And we talked to you all last week. It doesn't mean that they're going all the way. Remember we said that last week. It means that, that there's going to be hugging, kissing, whatever. That's just assumed. In fact, I said last week, that's primarily why the guy is getting into the relationship to begin with because he, yeah, okay, there we go. All right, so that's, that's how we define it. So, so at the end of last week, what I said was this. Is it, through introducing it, I said that I believe, biblically, from what I know from the word of God, Doctrinally and biblically, that type of modern type of dating, all right, is dangerous, is dangerous. And I gave three reasons why that is. Here are the three reasons why I gave. I said, number one, it leads to inevitable heartache in our children. Modern dating leads to inevitable heartache. Number two, it develops unhealthy relationship habits that follow them into marriage, so the habits that they learn in their dating patterns, also they, they also pull over, and oftentimes it causes a great deal of problems within the marriage covenant itself. And number three, um, it, it makes it nearly impossible for a person to remain pure before God in the structure that we call modern dating. You guys got that? All right, so, so that's, I'm going to revisit this at the very end, but we've got to do some work. We've got to chop some wood before we get there, all right? So we're going to look through uh, uh, passages of Scripture. There's a lot of ways that I could have addressed these dangers, just very quickly. I could have, I could have talked and preached on holiness and purity, and we could have gone to all the different passages in the Old Testament and New Testament that speak of God's holiness and how he wants us to be holy and he wants us to be pure. Could have tackled it that way. We could also tackle it by going and really developing a theology of marriage and going like to the beginning of Genesis and also maybe Ephesians chapter 5 and begin to develop very carefully what it is that God says about marriage and to show how it is a unique relationship above all other earthly relationships. The third thing that we could do to address those difficulties is we could, we could spruce up our ecclesiology a little bit. What that means is, is that means the study of the church. We could go to the pastoral epistles like First and Second Timothy and Titus, maybe kind of reach over into First John a little bit to see what the Bible says on how we as a body of Christ should relate to each other. All right, so those are all different ways that we could do it, but I just figured that, that biting off and preaching through the whole Bible might be a little bit difficult for one morning service, all right? So what I decided to do instead is just to camp out on one passage. That sound good, right? Is that better than going all over the place? We're gonna camp out on one passage, and, and, and here's what we're gonna try to do. We're gonna try to see what it is that Paul teaches here and then very carefully apply it to this idea of modern dating, okay? So we're going to look at it very closely. It, it's a little bit like chopping wood. It went over like a lead balloon in the first service, but you guys are much spiritual, so I'm sure you're, it's going to be much better. Uh, but let's just kind of track through it here. Paul gives us four things that's going to help us kind of work through these first eight verses. First thing he gives us is a loving reminder. Isn't that nice? Always, Paul always opening up with love. You know, here it is, loving reminder. He says, finally then, brothers... 
we ask and we urge you in the Lord Jesus. So right off the get, right from the get-go, he begins to address those that he was writing as brothers. It tells us two things. First of all, it tells us that those to whom he first penned these words were, were believers in Christ. At least they claimed to be believers in Jesus Christ. So this is instructions to believers. But it does more than that. It not only shows that he's writing believers, but it's also reminding those to whom he was originally writing and reminding us today on how you and I ought to relate to each other as we're a part of the body or better yet, the family of God. If we are all the family of God, which every last believer is, then we should treat each other in a manner that is worthy of being a part of a family. We should treat each other consistently to that idea. And so Paul teaches in this in other places. In 1 Timothy 5, verses 1 through 2, listen to what he says. Remember, remember the, the faith family is a family, all right? And so here's how he says that we should respond to each other. He said, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Do you see the family play there? Older man in the church, he's not really your physical father, but in the faith, he might be a father. Treat him like an older father with great respect. Don't rebuke him. He, he goes on and he says, he says also, um, he says, older men, in, uh, um, it says younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters. And then he adds this little sentence at the very end. He says, in all purity. So here's what he wants us to know. We're all If you're in Christ, you're a part of the family. If you're part of the family, we need to relate each other in the right way. And the key characteristic in which you and I should filter everything through how we treat each other is in all purity. Doesn't that immediately begin to apply to our dating relationships? I think it does. Here's a guy and a girl. If they claim and believe that they're believers in Jesus Christ, what are they supposed to do? They're supposed supposed to treat each other, whatever relationship they have, they're supposed to respond to each other in what? Some purity? Occasional purity? A certain level of purity? No, in what? In all purity. So keep that in mind. Now now, now notice this. He says, we ask and we urge you. This is going to give us an idea of what kind of heart he's, he's preaching this with. The word ask and urge, basically the same thing. He's pleading with his audience. He's saying, hey, listen, please listen to what it is that I have to tell you. What I love about it is neither word is authoritative. In the Greek, it's not authoritative words, but rather they're more pastoral. They're loving, they're caring, they're nurturing, they're, they're, they're soft words. You know what he's doing? He's coming alongside of them as a brother in Christ, kind of putting his arm around them. And he's basically saying, hey, listen, let's walk through this very carefully together. Why does he do that? Because sensitive subjects don't need a firm hand. Do you understand what I mean? Have you ever dealt, I know as a a young preacher, younger preacher, uh, maybe 20 some odd years ago when I would preach, I just felt like I had to hammer everything home, right? I mean, every time I'd preach, I was yelling at people, and and people, you know, shucking the corn, whatever it is. But you know, there are some subjects that you don't really have to get all fired up about. There's a time, Paul, in his writing, sometimes, man, he drops the hammer, when he's coming up against sin. But you know, there are some issues that are so hard, like this one. For the Thessalonians, this was such a difficult issue, morality, ethics. They were struggling with this in such a high level. He doesn't wanna sit there and beat them over the head. He wants to come alongside of them and say, hey, look, this is a tough subject. Let's love each other through this. It's it's the way that I'm trying to lead through this series as well because I know everybody's got different ideas and different thoughts and and people are are, are sitting back and it's emotionally charged, but we wanna be able to 
cover as a family in, in, in love and in, in nurturing. And can I give you just a little bit of advice as parents? And I'm a horrible parent, so take it for what it's worth. Um, you're trying to navigate this week and last couple of weeks and the next couple of weeks through this particular subject. I probably wouldn't take a real heavy hand. I, I probably wouldn't sit there and say, it's my way or the highway. I'm not saying that you shouldn't give instruction. I'm not saying that you shouldn't hold your children to certain things. But I think the best way to be able to cover this is to sit down and say, son, daughter, let's talk about something. I know this is difficult for you. I know it's difficult for you to hear. But this is something that's important to us. It's important to God. And so notice what he says then. He, he goes from saying we ask and we urge very coving, very lovingly. He goes and he moves in and he adds this last phrase, in the Lord Jesus. Why does he do that? Because he, wants, he, he doesn't want them to misinterpret his softness and his gentleness for weakness and a lack of authority. He doesn't want him to think as he's teaching on this subject of purity to them and he's doing it very gently, he doesn't want to think this is merely his own opinion, good advice, or that he's just given a friendly suggestion for people to sit there and go, well, thanks, Paul, we appreciate it, but we're going to do whatever we want to do. No, he adds here, he says, look, we're dealing with this very tenderly, but what I'm about to tell you is the authoritative word of God. He was saying it to them, and guess what? He's saying it to us. You guys see where we're beginning? That is, that's the reminder, this loving reminder uh, that, he, that he gives them. Now, now, now continue on. He, he gives some more instruction here. He says that you may, that you uh, received, uh, that as you receive from us, now you ought to walk into please God. Very cool thing. When Paul brought the gospel to the Thessalonians, when the gospel came, took root in the hearts, people begin to become born again. They begin to, check this out, disciple the new believers immediately. <gasps> Can you believe that? All right, they actually begin to take these new believers and teach them the word of God. They begin to teach them of the ways of how you walk before God. That's the word that he gives there. He, he gives, he says, how you ought to walk. When a new believer comes to faith in Jesus Christ, they need to understand your old walk, the old way you used to live, that's dead, that's past. You've been raised to walk in a new life in Christ Jesus, and a new believer needs to know what that looks like. Are you with me? So he's leading them in that. He goes, here's how you ought to live. And what we're going to see is he's going to call them to a radically different way of living that they lived before they came to faith in Christ. And so now he says you need to walk differently. And then not only does he tell them what to do, but he also tells them why they ought to do it. I love this last part. Look at your Bibles. And to please, do y'all have Bibles? There's no one looking at their Bible. All right. And to please, I could be lying to you. All right. So look down. And to, I, I've been here too long for you guys not to know you're supposed to look at your Bible. All right. And to what? To please God. So here he comes teaching how to walk in purity from one day to the next, how to live their life before God. This is how you ought to now live before Christ. But he tells them, here's the motivation that drives you to be able to do so. I love it. it did, did you notice that he didn't come up to him and say, hey, guys, listen, the reason, young people, you need to live in purity is so that, so you, don't, you, don't, you don't end up getting some funky disease and some weird blister on your lip. Right? You guys don't get that. Did you not hear that when you were growing up? You will get a disease if you touch people, right? I mean, have you guys not? Is this not how, is this not how we work with our young people? Scare them of funky blisters on, the, on, on their lip, yes? Uh, it's, it's then a pre teenage pregnancy, all right? You, you're not going to be able to go to school. You're not going to be able to whatever. You, you don't want that, do you? Paul doesn't take that approach. 
you know, he doesn't even come and give some even higher, uh, probably more theological type thing, like, hey, listen, this is going to help you to maintain unity within the body. This is going to help you to, to, to have a great witness within the community to the lost people as long as you remain pure. Did you notice he doesn't say any of that? Instead, he bypasses all of that. I love this. And he says, do all of what we've commanded you to do. Why? Because it pleases God. Pleases God. As you're teaching your kids and you're training your children and you're leading them, always let them know the motivation. Don't sit there and just give them a whole heap of laws. Do the laws. Be a good boy. Be a good girl. We don't want good boys and girls. You say, what? We want born again boys and girls, not hypocrites, heretics, and, and, and Pharisees. We don't want them on the outside to look good, but the inside be filled with dead man's bones. We want them to come face to face with their sinfulness and under the light of God's glory, repent, believe in Christ, be saved, and live because they want to please the one who pleased them. Do you see that? That's the motivation. That's where he's driving them. Everything he's going to say is going to go back to this. Why do we want to do what God's calling us to do? Why? To please God. Instead, we find out, you know, it's interesting to me because um, we, everything we do here, our whole purpose statement is we exist to glorify God by making disciples of all nations. It's a great place to begin, isn't it? And it's a great place to continue, and it's a great place to end. To glorify God and to please God, there's a lot of similarities between those two things. Did you know that even if you didn't make it next week, you didn't make it next week when we're trying to give some practical application to the principles that we're laying out last week and this week. Here, here, here's some practical application. If you will just consistently ask this question for the rest of your life, every day, every minute of the day, what pleases you, God? You'll be amazed at how many things are cut out of your life and how many things are introduced to your life based on that simple question. And that's what he wants them to do. He wants them to please God. He showed them how to please God. And so now notice how he ends at the very end. He says, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. Another important point. Here's what's great. He's being gentle with them because they are already seeking a life of purity. They're already pursuing it. They've changed so much since they've been born again. They're living the life of godliness that God has called them to. Wonderful thing, isn't it? And then he says, but you need to do it more and more. For, for some of you that think that you've arrived, newsflash, you haven't arrived. But see, here's the good thing. Some of you, and this is, such, this is an encouragement. When I begin to think of our church and I look around and I see some of you and I see how you've grown over the years in your faith in Jesus Christ, nothing is more encouraging to me. To know the life that you were living to the life that you are now living in holiness before God, leading him, pursuing him, seeking after him, love it. And here's the encouragement. Do it all the more. Your life is far more pure, far more holy than it's ever been before. But guess what? There's still more holiness to be had. That's the warning. That's the, that's the excuse me, um, that's the loving reminder that he gives to open up on. You guys tracking with us so far? That's how he introduces. Now, let's take one step further. Number two, he then gives a general instruction. General means it's broad, okay? So here's the general blanket and instruction. Here it is after all of that, verse two and three, he reiterates what he had formerly taught them before. He says, for you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Now let's stop right there. Some of you all week, all month, all year been going around trying to find the will of God and there it is the whole time, right there. 
What's the will of God for my life? What, what am I supposed to do? How, how do I know the will of God? Well, you're looking at it as that it's some kind of esoterical thing out there. And, and I get it, you know, what job to take. I get all that. But isn't it interesting that sometimes the Bible just tells us straightforward, here's the will of God. The will of God for you is what? Your, look it down at the word, your what? Sanctification. Your sanctification. Now, this is amazing. What does sanctification mean? He's basically saying, you becoming more like Jesus Christ. That's the will of God for you. The will of God is for you to first be saved. Then the will of God for you is to be changed and to transform, for you to increase your life in holiness, to become less like what you used to be and to become more like him. It's called progressive sanctification. He says, this is my will, that you will continue every day, every year, look more like my son, Jesus Christ. I love how one author says it. He says that Paul understood God to be a holy God of the Old Testament who was set apart from every form of sin and impurity and who demanded similar holiness from the people of Israel through separation. The same holiness that God enjoys to himself is the same holiness he wants his children to enjoy. He's holy. He separates himself from sin. What does he want from you and me? Holiness, separation from sin. This is his will for you and I. See the umbrella? See, see the big overarching umbrella? Go live with that. Good luck with that. But he's going to get more specific. Now, now, now notice, he, he, here's how he begins to break it down to make it a little bit more specific. He gives us two ways in which we take part in this particular sanctification. Notice what he says, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That you abstain. Do you know what the word abstain means? Don't do it. Abstain. Don't do, stay away from, don't take part in. All those things, same idea as, as, as abstain. Abstain from what? From all, from, from what? Sexual immorality. Do you see that? Now, the question is, what does the word sexual immorality mean? Well, the Greek word there is pornea. It's a very broad, broad term. And what it does is it basically covers a whole gamut of sexual sins. So it's not talking about one thing like adultery. It's talking about sexual, um, uh, uh, sexual sins that cover everything, sexual immorality. Here it is, the biggest umbrella that you can imagine. And what it talks about, this is very important for you to get to understand where we're going. It means, in specifically, any sexual activity, okay? Any sexual activity outside of the covenant relationship of a marriage. That's what sexual immorality is. So it covers a wide range of things, fornication, adultery, homosexuality, insects, pro, incest, uh, prostitution. You think of it, if it's a sexual activity being done outside of the bond of marriage, right? He says, stay away from that. So abstain from it. Don't take part in it. You guys see where this is going, right? All of a sudden, people are like, I don't like where this is going, but, but at least you see where it's going, whether you agree or not with the word or not. It says abstain from it, go away from it. Now, now understand, understand something. This saying, I understand in your hearts and in my hearts, um, this, this, this kind of rubs a little bit. It rubs because it seems to be incredibly radical. And, and what we want to do is, what, we want, what, what, what you need to understand is Paul's command is radical because he's not calling for partial moderation, we always want to ask the question, as long as I've been around teenagers and young people and adults, anybody that's dating, one question always wants to be asked, how far is too far? How far is that too far? Let me tell you why it's the wrong question. It's the wrong question because the question assumes that the Bible teaches moderation when the fact is that the, teaches, the, the Bible teaches complete 
abstinence of any and all sexual activity outside of the bonds of marriage. Did you get that? Okay, if you did, you're hating it. All right, some of you are hating it. Some of you are like, maybe, we don't know. If it seems radical, you need to know it is. But as radical as it is in our culture, it was far more radical for those to whom Paul originally wrote this letter. They were in the Greco-Roman world. It was the most debased society imaginable, completely saturated with sexual perversion. Fornication, homosexuality, incest, all of it was actually encouraged by the culture and society. You getting this? No sexual norm. This was actually encouraged. The only thing that shows how messed up they are, the only thing they didn't want to happen is for somebody else to have sexual relationships with their wife. So adultery was out, but sleeping with your sister was okay. All right, so you see how messed up this is, right? Everything is messed up. All of it is sin, and this is the culture in which they live in. Even their religion was based on sexuality. If you go to the temple of Aphrodite, there would be thousands of temple prostitutes there. You go, and here's how you pay your tithe. You give your tithe. You have sexual relationships with one of these temple prostitutes, and that's how you worship your God. Isn't, isn't that clean, Right? And so this is, this, is, this is the culture. And so notice this. When, when Paul comes and says this to them, this is how these folks grow up. This is what they were taught. This is a cultural norm. They were taught to believe that none of this was wrong at all. The gospel comes and changes everything. The gospel comes and says, all of this is contrary to who you now are in Christ. Now you go from everything to nothing outside of the covenant relationship with Christ. Are you guys catching this? You looked a little confused. All right, I don't know if it's confused, mad, sleeping, not sure what's going on. I'm just gonna keep moving forward, all right? So we'll find out in a minute what it is. And so here's what he's saying, all separated, take a part of it. I don't have any part of it whatsoever uh, at all. So let's, let's look to this. I know it's hard for us, would have been hard for them, but notice there's a second thing that he says. Not only are we to abstain, okay, from all what sexual immorality, that is any sexual activity outside of the, bond, the marriage covenant, but then he says a second thing, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Now this command right here, Paul preaches against that defeatist attitude that we hear so oftentimes. You can't expect a young person to live this way. Mom, dad, you can't possibly expect that I'm going to go all my life and not make out with a boy, right? I mean, this is just unheard of. So what we've done is parents, because we sometimes don't hold to the teaching of the word, we back up to the corner and then we just say, just don't go all the way. If we could just somehow get you married without going all the way, we're good. I don't think that that's the form of godliness that God is calling about. Are, are y'all with me? Not ahead. Not this way. Do this if, if you're with me. All right. And so, so what he says, he says, you're supposed to tell self-control. Here's the world's view of men and women. You're animals. You came from animals. Really, basically, you're nothing but an animal. So just act like an animal. You have impulses you have desires. There's no way for you to possibly hold back, control yourself, and to keep yourself from not fulfilling those particular urges. That's the world. You know what the word says? You were not created in the image of an animal. You were created in the image of God. Now act like it. And he says, control yourself. The Bible can't possibly call us to, to look, we've got all these feelings. We've got all these emotions. We've got all these passions. The Bible says, 
control yourself. In fact, it is actually one of the very clear characteristics of what it means to be a believer. He goes, how do you know that you're born again where the Holy Spirit resides in you? How do you know you have the Holy Spirit? In your heart is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and guess what? Self-control. Absolutely, the Bible calls you to be self-controlled. Here, here's the misnomer. As, as, as a single guy, I thought, man, I just need to get married because I will not struggle with any of these temptations again if I could just get married. I got married, all the same sexual temptations were there. Does it help with that? Yes. But listen, if you can't be self-controlled out of marriage, you'll never be self-controlled in marriage. Do you understand? You, you need to understand that. So God calls us to be in control. Then he says this at the end, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. He says that's the way of the world. If you're just gonna act, respond, and, and just do what your flesh ultimately wants, it's how the world lives. In fact, it's, it's evidence that you don't know God. That's how people that don't know God live. Do, do you see the pull? Do you see the tension? Now, let's get to the third thing here. All right, a specific command. Here he is, verse six. Then he says, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. Now, I think we've gone from broad, right? No, no sexual immorality. Control yourself. This is the will of God for you. Now he's going to give you a really, really specific application here that I think is clearly played out in what we, how we define modern dating. Here it is. He says again that no one, who does that include? Everyone, right? That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. Two words important there, transgress and wrong. Do you see them? Let's unpack them just for a second. The word transgress literally means to step over the line. He says, let none of you step over the line when it comes to a relationship with another brother and sister of Christ. What's the line? Who draws the line? God draws the line, right? Remember back in Genesis? God tells his people, his created beings, he says, you may eat of, uh, of any tree of the garden except for one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God sets what's right and what's wrong. He sets the boundaries. He sets the line. What was the line that he set for your and my relationships with each other? The line is, here's the boundary, right? What, what, what do we do? He says, to abstain from all sexual immorality. You have to address it with purity in all holiness. That's the line. And so he says to them, he says, if you go against that, you, tres- you, you, you transgress your brother. You step over the line that God has placed there. Second thing is the word wrong. Now notice this. He, he's the word wrong. It's actually a word that comes from the business world. And it, and it can be translated, King James translated it this way, the word to defraud. And its meaning is this. It, it, it speaks of selfishly. I, I think you guys are gonna get this. You're smart. If you cross that line, and enter into a physical, any kind of sexual activity outside of marriage. You're not only crossing a line, but you are defrauding the person. You are selfishly, greedily taking something for personal gain and pleasure at someone else's expense. Do you see, I mean, did you see that in the word of God? Are, are we all on the same page, whether you agree or not? Okay, this is the teaching of the word of God. Let me, let me break it down just in case. You're very bright, but let me break it down just in case you don't get this. He's saying this. He's saying the boundary is stay away from any and all sexual activity outside of the bonds of marriage to enter into any sexual activity with, with someone, even if you identify, listen, 
even if you identify them as boyfriend or girlfriend. This is important. Because in today's culture, if they're the boyfriend and girlfriend, it gives you permission to have physical intimacy. You understand? That, that's it. Hey, we're boyfriend and girlfriend. Hey, that would be disgusting. You go swap and spit with somebody that's not your girlfriend or boyfriend. Boyfriend card, swap, spit, no problem. You, you guys see how it works? Has, has nobody else really thought there's something weird here, right? It's almost as though boyfriend-girlfriend thing is almost like marriage, isn't it? But it gives you the rights now to enter into a more intimate relationship. Are y- y'all tracking at all? I know you don't like it. I'm just, just go like this if you at least get what we say so we get it over quicker, all right? So, so sexual day, even if you identify them as boyfriend or girlfriend, you have crossed the line and you have selfishly and greedily taken something for your own personal gain at the expense of your brother and sister in Christ. Last week, I said this. I said, you know, for some Christians, they're all messed up because here's their criteria. Got to be 16. We, we said what a great rule that was. Uh, whoever thought that out. 16, uh, freedom, money in the pocket, hormones going crazy. Now's the perfect time to go off alone. All right, so we talked about that last week. Um, but here's, here's kind of the, the boundaries that we have. Listen, it's not so much we know that they're going to enter into this more intimate relationship, but whoever they enter in, in, into it with, they have to make sure that they're a Christian. We don't want them being unequally yoked when they're swapping spit, all right? We just need, it's, they need to be a believer in Jesus Christ. And this is what I said. I don't care if you're a believer or you're an unbeliever. I don't want you touching my son or my daughters. Don't want you kissing them. And some of you thought, yeah, that's that protective daddiness coming out. You're right. I mean, the thought of that is disgusting, all right, to a long way. All right, I don't want anybody doing that. But that's not why I objected. I objected because... No boy, no girl, no series of boys, whatever it is, has the biblical right or has made the covenant commitment with my son or daughters to be able to enter into a deeper physical, emotional attachment and intimacy. Does that make sense? See, here's the problem. If you get this, you got it all. The world, intimacy precedes commitment. Well, man, I, I need to know what I'm getting. Intimacy before commitment. Always with Christ. Always with Christ. Commitment that leads to intimacy. Always. Think about it in the gospel. Even in the gospel, it's so plain. People all the time, well, I pray to God all the time, but have you repented of your sins and placed your faith in the completed work of Jesus Christ? No, but I talk to God all the time. I pray to him all the time. No, no intimacy for you, man. I'm sorry. Unless you make the commitment. Unless you're committed to God. Unless you've repented of your sins and said, God, you're my all in all. No intimacy with him. And how many of you know that once you're in the covenant relationship, that intimacy is sweet. It runs deep. It runs long. And every year and every decade, it gets greater and sweeter and more wonderful. Same picture as marriage because marriage is a picture of the unbreakable covenant relationship between Christ and his church. All right, last thing just in case some of that didn't sit home, he gives you a fierce warning, right? So guys, if you're with girls, girls, you're with guys, you don't want to listen to this. Uh, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. Okay, so I don't know how else to preach this, uh, but if you're touching somebody and, and, and having intimate relationships with somebody, and I'm not talking about just going all the way, I'm talking any sexual activity with somebody who is not your spouse, watch out, the Avengers coming. 
in the eyes of Christ, you have wronged, defrauded another believer in Christ, and now God's going to deal with you. Okay, so here's, here's the idea. Let's go back. Greatest motivation is love. We do this and live this way. Why? To please God. Because we want to please God. That's the greatest motivation. How many of you know that sometimes our hearts aren't all real lovey-dovey for God the way they ought to be? So what do you have to do? You have to sit there and say, okay, well, if the love doesn't work, then I'll give you a firm hand. There will be the discipline of God that will come upon you. Right? So you work that out however you want to. But notice this. He concludes, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this. He's talking about the teaching, not the application. The teaching that he's given so far, all right? He says, disregards this, disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Okay, just a couple things. Uh, If you take this and say, I don't like what it says, I don't believe that it's all sexual intimacy before me, then you gotta take it up with God. Then you're not rejecting my teaching, you're rejecting what the word of God is saying. You got that? Okay, you you got that? That's what the Bible says. Some of you are like, that's not what it's saying. It's saying it. It's what the word of God says. It's right here. And, and then, but I love this part at the end. He says, he, who gives the Holy Spirit to you. You know, I love that he includes the fact that we have the Holy Spirit. Because you know why? You're right. All of this is impossible. To grow up and raise up kids in purity, to have a man and a woman in a relationship that's leading to marriage, for them to be able to keep purity, impossible. Unless spirit of an all-powerful, all-knowing God dwells within that body, and they walk in the spirit. Man, that's good news. So it's not one of these defeatist things going, there's nothing we can do. No, he says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Don't let the world contaminate you and form you into its mold, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by what it is that you know in light and fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells within you. Do you get this? This is what the scriptures are teaching us. So let me, let me break this down for you just real quick. Um, please don't throw anything, by the way. You guys have been so kind. Thank you. Uh, those dangers. Let's visit those dangers again. Number one, I said that, 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 that modern dating is dangerous because it leads to inevitable heartache. Um, it would be interesting to take kind of like some kind of like test or something here and just say, hey, show of hands. How many of you who went through those series of datings, guys, girls, different relationships, how many of you were, were able to get through and never got hurt? And never got hurt. Uh, in every single probably one of us, maybe there is somebody out there, but almost every one of us were like, dude, that idiot that I, you know, and that, oh man, thank God for unanswered prayers. You know, I didn't end up marrying her. You know, and you remember all those things, but you're hurt. Why are you hurt? Because the Bible had never intended and created you and I to give of ourselves emotionally and physically to one person after another, after another, after another, after another, after another. Because when you're entering into that kind of relationship and you're showing and you're exposing and the person sees you, who you are, listen to this, you can't do that with people that you haven't gone into a covenant relationship with. Because when you're in the covenant relationship, you know what it means? You could be naked and not ashamed. Do you know what that means? That the person doesn't judge you. That relationship is based on grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. You don't have that in a dating relationship. That's not the commitment that you've made. So when a person sits there and turns to you and says, I don't like what I see. I see something better. It hurts. But you know, even when it's a mutual breakup, it hurts. Even when you're the one that has to finally tell them, hey, listen, I'm self-centered and you don't fit what it is that I ultimately want and I'm, I'm all about me. I, I got to kick you to the curb. That hurts. 
It hurts. It's inevitable. Number two, produces unhealthy patterns that, that follow into marriage. So catch this. So here's what, here it is. Remember last week we talked about dating either for recreational or educational purposes. A lot of you still think it's educational purposes. Yeah, date a whole lot of people. Give yourself to a whole lot of people. You'll learn what you like, what you don't like. And then, and then you'll, you'll, you'll date them, you'll, you'll, you'll dump them, go find the next guy. We even hear things like this. Man, you, the reason these aren't working out is because you're dating the same guy over and over and over and over and over again. Go and date a different guy. Well, how about you just don't date the same way? Maybe it's the way you're doing it is kind of a little jacked up. Have you ever thought of that? And, and so here's, here's what we're training when we're teaching people that way. Here's what we're saying. And, and, and I think somebody said it well. They said, they said, modern dating is nothing more than practicing for divorce. So here's what you do. Find something that you like. How you doing? Good? All right. Together? Enter into a relationship? Right? Bury your soul with them. Enter into some kind of physical activity and intimacy, whatever level that's ultimately going to be. And then when they're not quite meeting your needs, remove yourself from that relationship and that connection. Pull it away. It's going to hurt, but just do it. Just grin and bear it like the invisible fencing dog. You know what that is, right? The dog that has the thing around his neck and, and he can't get past because every time he gets close to the fence, he, he shocks. But if he just bears down hard enough, he could run right through and be free. Well, maybe that's how dating should be. Look, sometimes you just have to break up and it's going to be hard to do. Breaking up is hard to do, right? So you're going to break up and then what you're going to do is some of the times it's because you see something better out there. Hey, he's looking a little better. Hey, he's looking a little better. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to break this relationship off, this intimacy. I'm going to go for that. Is it going to hurt? Yeah, but just for a little bit until I find something new. Okay, so this happens time and time and time and time and time again. Breeding and encouraging self-centeredness, giving yourself away to everybody that you enter into a relationship with. And then when you come for premarital counseling, had somebody ask me if I'll do premarital counseling for them today. So here's what we're going to do. When we get in there, I'm going to tell him everything opposite that he did during his dating years. See, before it was all about you. It was all about finding the right one. It was all about you. You know, if you didn't like it, break it, uh, you know, break off, give yourself to all these people. Here's what I'm telling you now. Um, you now need to be selfless in this relationship. You need to fight for the bottom. You make a covenant. It's not based on looks. It's not based on what you want. It's based on the glory of God. You hold this forever no matter what happens. Not if something, come, if something better comes, it doesn't matter. You are hold to this particular relationship in this covenant that you're making. So notice this. Modern dating is preparing all of our children for divorce. We're not preparing them for what it means to be in a covenant relationship. You say, well, how do we prepare them to be in a covenant relationship? Pray to God and do all you can to lead them to faith in Christ and a life of purity. Before they get married, they're in a covenant relationship with one, their God. Live pure there. You'll know how to live pure within the marriage. Live faithfully there. You'll know how to live faithfully within the marriage. You guys tracking with, what, with me? All right, last thing. It looks really put out. All right, number three creates an impossible scenario whereby purity before God is impossible. A Song of Solomon 2.7 says this, I adjure you, in other words, I implore you, that you do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. That means don't stir up physical relationship and stirring in emotions before your children are ready to get married. Don't stir it up too early because then they're incubating and they're burning for a long period of time with no way to be able to fulfill 
what it is that, that, that God has created them to fulfill, to be a part of one day. So look, I, I know this is gonna come up, so I'm just gonna address it very quickly. You guys still with me? Here it is. It's what you've all been waiting for because everybody's sitting there going, man, you talked about all sexual activity. Okay, get that, I think. Um, but what about kissing? That's what everybody wants to know, right? Well, what about kissing? Where, look, we just went through this whole idea of the purity of God for you and you're still trying to find a man-made line. Still trying to find it, right? You're still trying to find it. And so, so what I'm saying is, okay, let's go back to what we know about the word of God. The question is, all sexual activity um, is, is we're, supposed to ha- we're supposed to abstain from when we're outside of marriage. So what about kissing? Is, here's the question. Is kissing sexual activity? There you go. Is it, is it or is it not? You got to answer for yourself? Answer for your kids? Well, I think what we would say, some are going, some are going, I think you're both right. Kissing mom, not sexual activity. Got it? Got that? Grandma, bad activity. All right, it's just, oh, grandma, why you always have to kiss me? All right, please put the dentures in before you kiss, right? All right, so it's not doing a whole lot for you. Okay, so, but then, note this, guy and girl likes each other, passionate for each other, can barely keep their hands off each other. When they kiss, is it a sexual activity? You got to answer. I, I'm, you want me to answer. I'm not answering it. Okay, so, so for me and my house, my wife and I, I'll just tell you, and this is, this is not law, okay? You, got, you guys are very clear. This is not law. It's just how we're, we're, we're practicing this. We're going to encourage our son. We're going to encourage our daughters uh, that, 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 that kissing uh, is for your spouse, for your spouse. You want to give it all to your spouse. And then even if in and of itself it's not sexual activity, let me ask you this. What does kissing do? It leads to what? More sexual activity, yeah? It moves to more desire. Isn't it funny how God actually created the kissing thing? The kissing thing actually is foreplay to something else. It prepares the body and the mind and the emotions for something to come. Then you, you, you tell me this. Then why in the world would you want your child to start something that they can't finish? That's what it means. That's what... That's what Samuel, or Song of Solomon 2, 7 means, I adjure you, do not stir up or awaken love until it's time. What are you doing in that intimate relationship? You're stirring things up that they can't finish. We then we wonder why they're so frustrated. Now, let me, let me, let me end with this. I, th- I think that there are some different things going on. I think, one, uh, that there are some folks that just feel convicted. Uh, you know, and, and we, we, I warned you this last week that for some of us, you're gonna look back in the way that you raise your kids and you're like, ah, maybe got it wrong there. Hey, join the gang, right? I'm right? I mean, every time we hear the word of God, I had somebody come to me this morning and they say, Brother Mike, since you've been here, I've learned so many things that I've had to undo in my life that I thought were right. Well, praise Jesus. If we're tracking through the word of God, that's gonna happen. We're, cont- we're, not, we're not there yet. You with me? And, and you sit there and say, man, I see something different. The, the, the difficult, some are, some are mad uh, because there's a kid here who tomorrow they turn 16 and their parents have promised that when they're 16 they get to date and this is the message that they hear right before their birthday. They're mad. I mean, they're mad. They're angry. I hate you, right? How dare you? And that's a, have you ever been the one that oh, it's always like, okay, yet yeah, now, you know, college is $10,000 more expensive than it was for the previous 10 years. And you're like, oh, why me? Always me. So that kid, you're, you're sitting here today and, and, and that's, it's, look, it's, it's anger. It's anger. There's some, uh, let me get back to the, to the, 
convicted. There's parents that are convicted, but there's probably young people that are convicted. You know what? There's probably enough conviction to go around for all of us. Why? Because there are people that still, even in a marriage relationship, are doing sexual activities that aren't within the bond of marriage. God calls us to purity. Calls us to purity. But you know what? I, I have to hope that through the teaching of the word of God and the way that we've handled it this morning, I have to hope as well that there are some that are feeling hope, feeling encouragement. Maybe been confused all this time on how they need to navigate through this and scared to death of how they're gonna lead their kids through. But in some, some people even saying, man, there was something like in my heart that didn't see this modern dating as something. I, I didn't understand how it was consistent with pleasing God and the purity of our children but I just did it because I was like a lemming, just following all the other lemmings off the, off the thing. But I see now that there's something to what was stirring in my heart. There's hope. And maybe, just maybe, maybe that God has a different way for my children, more God-glorifying way for my children. That certainly is my hope. Is it your hope? I, I, look, I would love, look, my son, daughters, they may rebel tomorrow. Uh, this, is no, this is no perfect plan. Hey, do this and everything's gonna work out. That's what I hear oftentimes. I did exactly what the word said and the kid rebelled. Well, there you go. You have a sinning child. That's right. But aren't you and I gonna do all we possibly can to nurture their hearts for the things? Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for today. We thank you for this time. God, as we continue now to be able to respond in light of the word, God, we always understand it's in light of the gospel. God, it's funny because somebody said to me right afterwards, it's amazing that anybody would be offended or hurt by what's being said because the truth, or, or even surprised that God would call us to such holiness because isn't, that, isn't this the level of holiness he calls all believers to? Doesn't God always call us, Pastor Mike, to hard, difficult things that are radically different than the way the world thinks? And the answer to that is yes. Lord, I, I don't even know what to do in the invitation except for allow your Holy Spirit to work for our folks to respond. We love you in your name. Amen. Let's stand. I'll be down here. You want to pray? You want to talk? You want to respond? I'd love to talk with you more. Just do business with God as we sing together.